Hey everybody, welcome to the Text Lab. My name is David. My name is Jesse Carrillo. And we are here doing a deep dive into the text to help you prep for life groups this week and help you track where we're at in the John, the Good Life series. Our goal is to really just help you be a disciple of Jesus and someone who makes disciples. So whether you're leading a life group, whether you're just doing some deep diving on your own, we hope the Text Lab helps you have meaningful conversations about what God has said to us in his word. This week is John 4, 1 through 42. It's a big text, but let's dive into it. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that you're saying to, you, give me a drink, you you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. 
Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Wow, that is a lot of text. A lot there, man. A <laughs> yeah. ton we can unpack. So as we always do, let's let's dive into some of these major themes and start to unpack what this means. I think one thing that sticks out to me, especially at the beginning of this passage, is geography. A lot of times when we're reading scripture, we just kind of blaze past towns and names of towns because we don't really know what they mean, but often in scripture, they have this huge significance. They're telling us something about what is happening in the narrative. And you see that here in this passage. Um, Jesus is leaving Judea and heading for Galilee. And one of the reasons that he's doing this is it says his time has not yet come. You remember back to John 2, wedding in Cana, Jesus says something very similar to that. And I think this is interesting because you see uh, Jesus divinely led by the Spirit through his ministry. God is guiding him and he's accomplishing God's work here on the earth and it's being divinely brought about. He he has intentionality and a plan here. And part of that plan is that he goes specifically into Samaria. Um, another kind of geographical point here that has uh, a lot of meaning in this text. The What would happen is the Jews would never go into Samaria. You actually don't have to go around it, but that's what they would do all the time. The text here says that Jesus had to go into Samaria, um, which is kind of making a theological point that he had to because it was God's will for him to go into Samaria. He had something there that he needed to do, something he needed um, to accomplish. There was meaning for him to go into Samaria. And the Jews would never go there because if a Jew went into Samaria, they would become unclean. The Jews and Samaritans had this huge um, past and kind of nasty past with each other. And so Jews would just avoid it, but Jesus doesn't avoid it. Yeah, and so let's also talk about the Samaritan woman. Uh, he's intentionally going into Samaria, like mm. you talked about, and he starts this conversation with a Samaritan woman. The conversation is breaking all kinds of cultural norms, like so many. <laughs> it is, it's quite shocking conversation, really, if you think about it. A rabbi would have never talked to a woman in public, especially not alone and especially not <laughs> a Samaritan woman. Seriously, like that just wouldn't have happened. So she would have been surprised that he was speaking to her, and especially because he was a Jew. Christ's conversation with her would have caused him to be unclean in the eyes of many, but, you know, we see that uh, that this is done not to hinder Christ from engaging her. That's huge. A little bit more background on why that matters is basically the history of the Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. Think Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as unclean because when Babylon had conquered Judah, the Samaritan people um, were left behind and they started intermarrying with other nations, with the Assyrian nation. And the Jews who's built their whole identity around purity saw the Samaritans as unclean because they had married outside of the Jewish people. And so um, because of that, there had just been this long-seated hatred, some violence that had occurred between the two people groups. And so Jesus is suddenly breaking that, reaching out to her, having a conversation with her um, that, like you said, breaks all of those different norms. Um, this would have been kind of crazy. Yeah, definitely crazy. And it would have been a surprise. Uh, I would be curious what it would be like to be a fly on the wall in that situation. I think with that, one of the things you kind of see there is this theme then 
of living water coming out. So Jesus is talking with the woman, breaking these norms. She's at the well. It says that she's at the well around um, the sixth hour, which would have been the hottest part of the day. Um, she maybe was there because she was avoiding seeing any other women at the well. We don't know that so for sure, but she's at this well. Um, it's Jacob's well, which has some like Old Testament history and significance as well. This is just a, a significant part and, and place of Jewish history. And, and Jesus approaches her and um, asks for a drink of water. And she's surprised by this request. But Jesus connects that to this theme of living water. Jesse, what does living water mean? So what Jesus is doing here is he's drawing a parallel between her earthly thirst uh, for water, which we all have, and her spiritual need. And so uh, he's saying, I have to offer you true, what, what I have to offer you will truly satisfy uh, the longing uh, for your soul that your soul has. And so it will truly bring her soul to find rest and peace mm-hmm. and joy and, and ultimately hope in him. And Jesus is offering what is truly good, which is life in him. And so it's important to note here, the same theme again of water showing up. Water shows up in John 1 and John baptizing in the Jordan River. But then Jesus says that to be born again, you must be born of the water, of water and of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more water symbolism here, which is pretty cool. Um, and there's always a symbol, water is symbolizing cleansing. So uh, here Jesus is connecting that with the water that he has to offer. So Jesus then tells her, go call your husband and come back, which is really interesting because Jesus kind of takes this from this theological conversation and he really kind of personalizes it. What does this actually mean for her life? And she tells Jesus that she has no husband and Jesus, the same way that he does with Nicodemus um, in John 3, articulates her heart and kind of draws out what's actually going on and says, you're, you're true. You're right that you don't have um, a husband and the man you have not, the truth is that you've had five husbands. The person you're now with is not your husband either. So he just gets really down to the core of her heart, um, which is really interesting. Yeah. And in the first century, you know, uh, having five husbands actually would have been like crazy and there would have been a lot of shame uh, in this culture, alongside the honor, but the shame in her situation specifically, uh, the Samaritan woman would have been experiencing a lot of that. And so um, I'm honestly amazed here at the grace and truth that Jesus is mm. showing to this woman. He points out her sin, but then he, in the in the way that Jesus does so well, he's drawing her near to him. And I think that's just a really, a really powerful part of this story. Totally. And she's just in awe of this. She says, okay, it's obvious you're a prophet. And when the prophet comes, he'll tell us more about um, the right place to worship and he'll reveal the truth to us. And um, she kind of brings up this longstanding kind of like controversial peace that has happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. There's been a lot of controversy about the appropriate place to worship. The Samaritans basically believe that Moses had commissioned an altar on Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. And this is where they believed they were supposed to worship. It kind of justified their whole system of worshiping. Uh, But the Jews disagreed with that. They said that everyone must worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus here kind of draws the focus away from the right place to worship and instead focuses on the true nature of worship. It's not about the right place. It's not about the right way that you do it. It's not about the location of the worship. It's about who you're worshiping and how you're worshiping. And he says that that the worshipers God desires are those that worship in spirit and in truth. That's really interesting. So 
why don't you unpack that actually just a little bit more for me? Totally. So I think there's more connections to the Nicodemus conversation here again. The Nicodemus, Jesus says, those who are born again are born of the spirit. And Jesus says here, those who are the true worshipers are those who worship in spirit. And so there's this emphasis again on the Holy Spirit, but then there's this emphasis on truth. And, and that has these parallels back to John 1 again. Every piece of John goes back to John 1. Um, and, and Jesus as the word that is revealed, that is made flesh, and Jesus as truth. What is truth? It's not this perfect system um, that sometimes we try and categorize everything in. Jesus is truth. Um, he is the embodiment of truth, the embodiment of God. And so he comes and he reveals the Holy Spirit, and through Jesus, truth is revealed. And then he does something that she's aware of, uh, but she is not aware of in this situation, that Jesus is actually revealing himself as the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's building up through John. And you, pro- if you've been listening, you guys have probably heard uh, how, how God has been using these encounters of Jesus to build up that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, so worshiping in spirit and truth and worship through the Holy Spirit and worship that is of Jesus, the yeah. truth, the word has actually become flesh and it's standing right in front of her. So the disciples at this point now have come back um, and then she goes back into town. Um, and what were some ways, David, that you see her responding to this interaction she just had with Jesus. Yeah, totally. I think there is a contrast in John 4 here with that Nicodemus passage, as we've mentioned a couple times, that Jesus encounters uh, Nicodemus and um, Nicodemus doesn't necessarily make this proclamation of belief. We're kind of left wondering, does he believe in Jesus or not? But you see just such a different response by the Samaritan woman. Jesus um, encounters her at the well, and then she just leaves and goes and tells the whole town about Jesus. Jesus makes this statement to, to that to say, um, open our eyes, the fields are white for harvest, which uh, the Samaritans often wore white. And so there's kind of a play on words there that Jesus is saying, look, salvation is coming. People are receiving the gospel. And she goes and tells her whole town and says, hey, look, this, here's a man that told me everything I ever did. And her, just her response to Christ is to immediately receive the message and then to go. And I think there's a huge point there that salvation is not just for the Jews, but it's for all people, um, which is something that John is really emphasizing here in this passage, that salvation has come and goes out for everyone. And um, I think that plays right into kind of like um, just some ways that this passage maybe uh, makes a difference in our life this week. Jesse, for you, how does this kind of hit you in that? How, what are some of your main kind of takeaways from that this week? Yeah, so I think uh, what really struck me about this passage is Jesus going out of his way, and he didn't have to, to go into Samaria. He knew mm. that this interaction with the woman of, uh, at the well was a necessary part of, mm. of his mission. And so, you know, I think back to how many times I feel like I've been uh, – called to do something and I, maybe I've avoided it. And I think yeah. the Jews would have avoided it too, just because mm. it's Samaria, right? Mm. So that's a natural part of what they're doing, but Jesus intentionally goes in there. That's cool. And so I think what, you know, the question that I, I'm asking myself application wise is like, what is God inviting me into mm. that I need to just step into and yeah. faithfully uh, trust him in that, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. that he's going to do some good work, even yeah. if it's uncomfortable for yeah. me. I think in relation to the good life that we're talking about with John, you know, I think the uh, our desire to avoid conflict and mm. we, we want that we want comfortability and mm. we don't want to be uncomfortable we don't yep. want to maybe have tough conversations yep. and they don't even have to, have to be tough maybe they're just uncomfortable yeah and yeah, so yeah. 
Uh, the application on my side is just like, what is God inviting me into? Yeah. What are what is God inviting you guys into that uh, might be countercultural? Yeah, totally. Totally. I love that because He's breaking the norms, and as we think about our R three relationships, our yet to believe relationships, Jesus steps right into the place that would have been flipping everything upside down, doing what is against the culture, doing what would not have been expected. But He does that for the sake of mission. And then the woman too. I mean, she's at the well by herself for good reason, but then yet she goes and tells her town all about Christ and just has this response to the gospel of being sent out. And I think that hits that hits me in a huge way because, man, people are hurting. People need to hear the gospel right now and us living on mission for Christ, going into our community uh, to reach the the our neighbors and our friends and the world with the gospel um, just comes through so clearly in, in this passage. Well, thanks for spending your time with us. Our promise to you is that we're going to do our best to make Thanks for spending your time with us. Our promise to you is that we're going to do our best to make this time valuable for you, the leader. If this has helped you in any way, let us know. Whether you're at the gym, mowing the lawn, driving, or wherever you like to listen to your podcast, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you. Know that you are one who is sent this week into your group, into your family, into your Pray Watch communities, wherever God invites you to go to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.